All right, it's After the Buzzer. I am Ian Busby. This is the week we've been finally waiting for. The CFL playoffs are going to begin. It's going to be a fun week. In Regina and Hamilton, you can feel the excitement building. I think uh, we are going to just put the last few weeks of the regular season behind us and look forward to the playoffs and hope that we get some exciting games. If you're a neutral field observer, uh, that's all you're looking for right now, some entertainment, I would say. Um, if you're, if you love the CFL, like I do, you want the next five games, the, the two playoff games this week, two playoff games next week. And then the great cup, you want them to be great. Don't you? I, that's the way I feel. And Danny and I talk about that and how we're disappointed with the level of scoring and entertainment value that the CFL has been bringing, but we still want this league to be great. And we feel like it can be, we just have to you know, hope for some offense and some excitement. And I think we're going to, we're going to get at least the latter because we got some great matchups this week, Montreal at Hamilton and Calgary at Saskatchewan, Calgary and Saskatchewan. Every time they hook up, it's great. And I look thinking back to the playoff games that I've seen between these two teams. They were always entertaining, whether it was Jarrell Freeman jumping on a ball in the end zone in Calgary or, you know, a big play made by Andy Fantuz and, 2007 boy i'm going back in the onside missed onside kick that shadrick williams was offside for uh that's that's all ancient history we're looking forward instead of back uh danny and i talking about the big matchup uh mostly with the uh stamps and uh riders and then we're gonna chat about a few things including a big discussion about what was going on in edmonton and where they go from here and how it might ripple affect the rest of the league with If they pluck a few guys from other teams, those teams are going to do work to replace those, those coaches. And then suddenly it's a bit of a carousel. Anyway, without further ado, here's Danny and I. Okay. We waited a long period of time and sat through a lot of, meaningless football to get to this point but uh we're excited now it is the playoffs it's the divisional semifinal games in the east it's montreal at hamilton and in the west the big one calgary at saskatchewan uh looking at the way the stamps and riders finish this season out i i feel like the stamps are should be prohibitive favorites going into this but you know it's the home crowd in saskatchewan and it's going to be a big game you're heading there what Saturday morning or Friday night? I'm heading there Friday night because uh, this is where the CFL sort of takes over uh, media stuff. So we actually have in-person at stadium stuff oh, on nice. Saturday. So, um, you know, I've, I've been going two nights early as it is. Cause that's our normal schedule. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, I, I, that would involve sort of being at the airport by seven in the morning and, and flying and then being exhausted all day. Whereas I can go in, get some, well, get a good that's the way I used to do it though for, for all of the Saskatchewan, BC, and Edmonton road trips, I would leave. I'm shocked. No one, no one's out I here. Would, I would get up at early in the morning and hit the airport and go for breakfast before the media availabilities. It was always, yeah, it was. You, you, you don't get the bags under your eyes like I do, man. I like. I am someone. I need my seven and a half hours of sleep. I, I, I want to wake up in a bed. I want a little bit of time to go. Don't get me wrong. I've like worked, you know. 
I've worked some landscaping, some golf course, you know, greens crew. I've, I've had my times when I wake up early, but I have made a lot of, of, of choices in my life to make sure that I don't have to do that. Well, I, you know, if, if you know, you have to be peak performance on a certain amount of hours of sleep. Uh, I just generally was like, I didn't want to be in Regina for an extra night. That's basically how I would do it. And, but if I had been in Regina for an extra night, I would have probably had gone out and celebrated with some Ryder fans before the game, you know, two nights before a game. So well, I don't the, do it two nights. The it. night before the game, we will uh, <clears throat> do the traditional there's, there's, and I recognize we, you know, people listening probably want us to actually talk football, not media stuff. But one of the best things about the Saskatchewan road trip is, you know, there's a great media group there, Daryl Davis, Jamie Nye, Murray McCormick. So the night before, particularly a big game, uh, you know, y'all go, go out to a steakhouse and you have a really nice fun meal. I'm really looking forward to that on the Saturday night. But no, I will, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hyped for this game. Let's, let's talk about it. I, I think this is going to be a really exciting, fun game between two teams that are maybe imperfect but have have been winning football games recently. Uh, they've seen a lot of each other in the last two months. Um, and it's, it's one of those games that I think is really, really hard to, to confidently pick. Now, let me ask you a question because I don't gamble. I, don't, I will never gamble. It, it's not something that I'm interested in having chase me down. My understanding with football lines is that <clears throat> the home team is automatically given three points, right? So, Well, it's generally. Yeah. Uh, the stamps being or the riders being minus two and a half means that actually the bookies are taking half a point away. And that's actually on some level, them picking the stamps. As the yeah. Pick. Well, I'm looking at bet Regal and bet Regal has them at plus three, which is your general line for a pick them home game, right? The yeah. home team's favored by three. Uh, there is no line up for Montreal Hel- Hamilton yet. So I don't know what they're waiting for on that. Maybe they're trying to figure out who's starting in what situation and which way it's going to go. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I would say it's basically a pick them. And I, I, uh, I think that's, that's fair. The being that Saskatchewan and Calgary had essentially the same record. They won one game off, uh, came into the last week and Calgary wins their game and Saskatchewan loses. I don't think we can glean anything from that last week. I think we have to look back to the, the games they played against each other. And I think what you need to tell me is if, if Mike Rose is available uh, and that, Calgary defensive line is intact. I feel pretty good about the way that they can create pressure on Cody Fajardo. I think that's the main matchup because it all builds from there. If Fajardo doesn't have time to, to get his, let his uh, receivers develop their routes, then they're not going to be able to strike deep like they want to. I know Fajardo likes to go deep. So that's, that's going to be the main thing on that side of the ball. And then if the stamps are, you know, if Bagleton and Jordan are, are ready to go in hundred percent. I, I like their matchup because they, they create some mismatches uh, defensively. So that's yeah. the way I see things happening. No, I mean, I think that, so I honestly like Bo Levi Mitchell in the third game against the riders threw a bunch of interceptions. Um, riders, riders won the game. You can't, you got to give the riders that, right. They created those. Although some of them were just underthrown balls that a quarterback shouldn't really do. He's been better since. So let's leave it there. But I honestly think that the Stamps probably should have won the first two games by more. I think they left points on the board. Um, they and, definitely did, yeah. And I, I do think Reggie Bagleton makes a difference there. What I honestly, like my main, I think the biggest mismatch is exactly what you pointed out. I, I think that it's the interior of the Stamps D-line. So Mike Rose and Derek Wigan um, bursting through. They, I mean, they, they big brothered that stamps O-line in those games. Um, and the riders O-line, you mean? 
you saw the riders O line. Yeah. Like they, I mean, they, that was, that was a huge mismatch. And I don't, I honestly haven't dug into if the riders have gotten better in that regard, but I mean, if Cody Vajardo likes to go deep, that's okay. That's not the way you beat the Stampeders defense. I mean, you might beat them deep once, but you, it just doesn't happen very much. The way the way you beat them is you go underneath um, and you just kind of move the fall, the ball and you try to exhaust them and then they get your points in the fourth quarter. And I, I think that's what we saw um, be effective. And when you do that, they have to sort of change up what they do. But if you let the DBs sit back there um, and, and try to beat them with deep balls, look, I mean, Duke Williams is a hell of a player, but look at who that team, that stamps, defensive backfield has i mean those are not those are professional smart some of the best dbs in the league so yeah if you put pressure on them the riders they're they had better come out and try to just keep possession and move the ball i know that cody fajardo was critical of the sort of like dink and dunk style um it's the only way that you beat these guys that you're yeah but but that's the way they were most effective and you look at the first few weeks of the season the riders went out to a three and oh start and they've been kind of mediocre since then and it their first game against uh, BC, I was I was impressed with their offense was going eight yards at a time every play, like boom, 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 boom. Now you have to have a high efficiency doing that, but they were doing it, and then it just sort of they just veered off that path of high efficiency possession type offense. And if you have a running game that can supplement that with the short passing game, that's the way you can really control the clock and win. And, I, and teams haven't had running games against the Stampeders, like across the board. Anyone who wants to look, what was his name? Johnny Augustine, the little uh, little Bombers guy this weekend. He was probably the yeah. one good guy who actually had a good game between both teams. Um, look at the D-line that the Stamps were playing. Like, none of their bad players, but, like, right. that, was, that was not Mike Rose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Sean Lyman wasn't playing. Like, that, that was a D-line that, honestly, like, good players, but a couple guys playing in their first games. Uh, a lot of guys sitting, um, even the guys who were in the lineup, the Derek Wiggins weren't playing every snap. So, um, right. look, I, I think that you can very easily make a case for the Stampeders should be prohibitive favorites for this game. The counter argument is, well, the Stampeders have really turned the ball over a lot all year. Um, and there've been a couple games they have looked better quote-unquote but they 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 don't inspire a ton of confidence and the the riders forced Bo Levi Mitchell to throw four four interceptions I believe in their last game so um I think that like that's why I'm saying this is evenly matched because the Stampeders despite Reggie Bagleton despite Kamara Jordan being back all of that they still haven't done enough that anyone in their right mind is going to say they're convinced that this is a locked and loaded offense that's that's 100% ready to go um I will also say Kadeem Carey has just, I, I use the term big brothered, but like Kadeem Carey has been very good against these riders. Um, so yeah, I think that honestly, if you were asking me which fan base should feel more confident, I would say Calgary. Um, I would also say that this is a Stamps team that at times when I've said that you should feel confident about them, it hasn't turned out very well. Right. So yeah. yeah, so it's that's what makes Sunday so exciting for us because we're finally going to see something that, uh, like, we're going to see all the cards on the table, in other words. Uh, do you feel like the there's going to be a sense of angst with the Ryder fans there? Because when you were there, ooh, I don't know, six weeks ago, you, you came out of that feeling like, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tension in Regina. Like, they're, they're going to come out and it'd be like, okay, if it doesn't go well in the, like, 
what happened in the first two meetings between these teams, Calgary just put a touchdown on the board right away. And it was like, Oh, just deflated them. And it was like, Oh, the pending doom. When I grew up in Saskatchewan many, many years ago, there was always just an impending doom about the riders. We never had any confidence that we're going to ever going to win. 1989 was such an aberration because it came out of nowhere. They were a 500 team that got hot at the right time and went and won the Grey Cup. They didn't deserve to win any of those games, kind of, but uh, they did. And it's, you know, it goes down in rider history as one of the greatest years ever. But it was always like, oh, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. It's just a kind of a defeatist attitude. And I see that creeping in again with rider fans after a, probably about a decade between 2007 to to 07 and then they started to tail off and get worse again what did i say 2007 to 17 yeah where they got a little bit full of themselves and obnoxious so i don't know about if i I can say that but now i i just feel like they're kind of like "Ah, we don't know about this team we don't know we are not 100 confident in everything that they're doing out there so i think that's where the difference lies now and uh, Calgary being so good for so long. And then now seemingly the underdog heading into this one, right? It's like, I don't know it, the, you always thought Calgary was going to play on at home, but what is the weather going to be like? Because that could be a huge factor, um, going, going in. And cause Calgary has not been a good weather team in my ex, uh, experience. That's for sure. Yeah, so I don't know if this is good podcasting, but I'm going to quote a tweet that I think I saw this morning. Uh, but uh, I, maybe I dreamt it. I can't say. I, I believe the weather is supposed to actually be at kickoff, something like six, seven degrees. Like I, I don't think it's supposed to be frigid. I don't think it's supposed to be sort of minus twenty or anything like that. It'll obviously get colder as the game goes on. The question is which team that benefits, because again, traditionally, with these Stampeder teams, the last couple of years. You know, we've thought of them as a throwing team. The Stampeders are at their best when they've got Kadeem Carey going on the ground. Yeah. So um, I, I'd argue that they have the advantage in the run game. So really, really cold weather where you, you're going to run the ball instead of throw it. Um, I actually do think that that tilts the scales a little bit towards the Stampeders. Um, yeah. And it's also Regina, so it can be six, seven degrees, but like the windiest day of all time. Um, <laughs> That's what I, I don't see on my weather forecast. It says a high of six that day dropping down to a low of minus five, but that probably be more into the evening hours. So it's, it's going to be mild enough that it's like, it shouldn't minus be five in a packed football stadium. You're okay. Yeah, it should yeah. be all right. It's not going to be the minus bazillion that was in the 2019 West semifinal in Calgary. Cause that was, uh, that was the coldest day I've, of any football game that I had been to. So, and it was a huge factor, obviously. Don't say that on Twitter or a bunch of fans will inexplicably tell you that it wasn't that cold. Um, they must have been drunk then because <laughs> I tried to get drunk just to just to not be cold, but it was freezing. I'm sorry, my cell phone froze to my chest through three layers of clothing. So I literally at one point, this was a couple of weeks ago, I think I've already referenced it. I, I was like, it was minus one million. And I had like three people be like, actually, it was only minus 12. And I was like, okay, but rocks. the wind was howling and it was like, it felt like minus 35 i swear to god and i grew up as i said in saskatchewan and generally I, the cold doesn't bother me that much it's the snow and the wind that are the problem right so if it's just cold out it's fine yep. it's if it's windy and snowy and it's just gross yeah you don't uh it's not pleasant so 
Hey, anyway, uh, I want to look back quickly at that game against uh, Winnipeg because it was atrocious for a very long period of time. And uh, I like what you wrote about it, <laughs> basically saying uh, we're not going to want to go back and look at the history of this one. And then and then you were just like on board with talking about this game. So I'm just ending the column right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I do my 10 takeaways and the takeaway six. I was like, what the hell am I doing here, guys? Uh, and I cut it off because it was um, – look, that game was terrible. I I am not saying that it is Dave Dickinson or Michael Shea's job to worry, you know, necessarily about putting an entertaining product on the field. Obviously, the last couple of minutes were entertaining. But, um, you know, if you were someone turning a CFL game on for the first time and witnessed what we witnessed on Saturday night, you would never watch another game. It was awful. Um, I understand all of the reasons why it was awful. You protect the playbook. You don't show up. Um, it's just, it's bizarre that we shortened the season. It was a 14 game season and we still ended up with a weekend where there was basically nothing to play for. And every game was terrible. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you fix it. I honestly don't like, um, the standing. Well, shaker. Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's a trend now that it's just the scoring is down and excitement level is down. And the way I look at it is it's just a little easier to find great defensive players rather than great offensive players. I mean, and, and that's fine. That doesn't excuse teams like lucky. It doesn't, ex- that, that's not exactly what happened this weekend. This weekend, just teams honestly were like willing to, or they had to like hide their playbook and, and do all that. Um, but I mean, I put it on Twitter and I had one person yet, you know, say it was the worst take that they'd heard in 25 years, but I've been covering this year, this league since 2016. Um, love the league. Like we got it acknowledge that this season was not particularly entertaining you know game by game there were only a handful um that of games that were entertaining and to have a last weekend like this one when what you want is for people to be getting excited about the playoffs and instead it's just dud after dud after dud um full marks to the people there were a lot of people who had to sacrifice a lot to get the cfl product on the field this season and they deserve a lot of credit. Whatever happened in the games, that's a victory. That we had a full season. That we managed to make it happen. Yeah. Dire financial straits. Very, very difficult for a lot of people. And they put in a lot of work. And I respect that. I'm not trying to criticize. It's just there's a problem that I, I don't know what we do about. And what I what you would have hoped for is people tuning in being like, wow, Calgary, Winnipeg. This one's going to be. Both these teams want to you know get their pound of flesh. And it just didn't really feel that way until the last three minutes. And, and three minutes, an exciting finish does not make up for two and out, two and out, two and out, two and out. Um, you know, yeah. and I, I honestly, like, I, I really worry about what it says for the league and what it means for the league. Yeah. It it really comes down to, is there any sort of thing you can do to fix it? Um, I've, I've heard the argument that the coach's salary cap is a little bit too onerous. You can't attract the better coaching staffs to and add guys to that will bring ideas that will create some some new plays some some new ways of getting things done uh i've you know i've just looked at it as you know the the nfl has been a focus on offense over the last few years and i see a bunch of guys in the nfl that i was like that guy looked like he should have been a cfl player you know little and fast and you know jitterbuggy you know at one point in time, Cole Beasley should be a, you know, the star slot back for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, not for the Buffalo Bills, right? It's just those type of things make me think, okay, well, maybe it's 
maybe you got to do something to to attract more offensive talent, open up the salary cap a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's hard because the reality is like there is no money, right? Like the salary cap's not going up. There's no money. Um, you know, attendance was down this year. Yes, I know it, we were in a pandemic. No one's saying otherwise. It still hurts the league if attendance is low. Right. You know, those two things can exist at the same time. Um, and I don't know necessarily. I mean, I, I don't know honestly. I none of us have the data to back up how how big an issue uh, the pandemic was for attendance, but I assume it was substantial. But like, you can talk about opening up the salary cap. Most teams don't have money to open up the salary cap. The right. coaching cap was presumably brought in. I mean, it's my understanding, basically to limit how many coaches the riders had under Chris Jones. Um, right. And that's like, that's why we did it. You'd say, oh, well, that problem's gone away. Well, no. Oh. Then, like, <laughs> the teams just have less money than they did a couple of years ago. So it probably benefits, the, you know, the owners across the board. But um, I, I still think there's... I think the training camp thing affected it to a certain level. There were some good games out there. We may have just been in a transitional year. And I like people throw these ideas and, and, and we've heard them all, right? Like we've heard that there's too much player movement. So players don't actually develop within the same system. And I'm not saying that that's not true, um, but it's just, it's not, there's just maybe not a, a one size fits all solution here. And uh, right. you know, it, it's well, been a disappointing season for the on-field product, in my opinion. But um, well, as I said, these, these playoff matchups are all great. But I just I don't think this league can afford to have games like the Stamps and Bombers, and I don't think it's great business practice to have nineteen thousand people who bought tickets for Saturday's game and then they were just bored stiff for fifty-seven minutes of football. That's in, in the freezing cold, like there's got to be an incentive to make sure that doesn't happen somehow. Right. Yeah. I, and I don't know what it is and smarter people will try and figure it out. The one thing they can do is try and salvage it. There's, there's five games left uh, and they all look like they should be good matchups. Um, you would hope that, you know, a full stadium in Saskatchewan is going to show up. I feel like a pretty sizable crowd is going to show up in Hamilton for that, uh, that team, because that's, you know, I would say it's the most passionate fan base out in the East Division. So uh, maybe not. Maybe Ottawa is up there, but uh, they've got a good fan base there. So you expect these games will have a lively atmosphere. And, and I mean, we've today. seen it. Patrick Lovells is out here from Montreal, former Stan Peters guy, talking a little trash, getting the getting stirring the pot just a little bit. That's a whole lot of fun. Um, yeah. That's what we need. And like Hamilton, Montreal should be a great rivalry. Um, I, we said from the start of the season. One of the things I love about Montreal is they play with a chip on their shoulder. Um, that was a little bit more with Vernon Adams in there than Trevor Harris, but they're you know that that's a good fun game between two teams who expected to be competing for first somehow ended yeah. up second and third, but yeah. they still think that they're great cup contenders. Both of those teams still think they're great cup contenders. So let's see it. Go fight it out. I have a feeling that's going to be just as much fun as as Calgary Saskatchewan. I can't wait for that one. I think like I love teams that. It's it's what does Bill Simmons say? He's like it's nobody believes in us. Yeah, there's there's oh, power. They, there's yeah, like who's got, got the biggest nobody believes in us chip on their shoulder right now? Because Montreal is like, well, we lost our starting quarterback, but we got another guy in here, and we can go and run the ball down your throat no matter what. And you know they're gonna try and pound the crap out of them with that offensive line. So, I got to gonna say, hey, we were we had injuries to our quarterbacks, we had injuries at key positions. We only kind of got a couple games in a row with the full team for a while. Our defense is still as good as anyone in the league. When Don Jackson's in, look what it unlocks for us. 
I get that. They feel like nobody believes in them. The Argos have been disrespected all year. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they think that. The Stampeders are like, hey, well, we started slow. Our quarterback had a broken leg. Then we went six and one down the stretch, and nobody's talking about us as a contender. And then the riders are saying, well, we want a bunch in a row coming down. Right. Like, we ended up in second. Why is no one taking us seriously? So, it's really so the, only, the only team that can, is, doesn't have this chip is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and that's the team that we're – that is heavily favored to win the Grey Cup right now, but you you know how those things go. It, the, the heavily favored team doesn't always win. So it was it was third place team versus first place team in the last Grey Cup, and the third place team won. So well, we even saw it when the Stamps had just beat the Lions, the thirty nine ten game, and then the next week the Bombers went out and and shut out the Lions. Right. Jeff Hamilton, who we both love, tweets out he's like. This takes a little bit of the shine off the Stampeders, doesn't it? I'm like, no. Well, <laughs> he's stirring the pot. You know he's having fun. There's no criticism right. of Hamilton here or anywhere else that I am. But, uh, but you know, the Bombers were sitting there being like, oh, everyone's talking about the Stampeders now. Like, they felt that way. So, um, yeah, you want that chip on your shoulder. And you know how football coaches are. At this point in the season, they just want everything inside the locker room. They're telling their guys, don't pay attention to anything that anyone's saying. But – now is when guys like us, guys like, you know, Derek Taylor, Saskatchewan across the country, now is when guys start actually talking and, mm-hmm. um, and saying those fun little takes to get the, to get the conversation going. So I, I honestly like this, these CFL playoffs, I mean, I guess you would have said the same every CFL playoffs because the reality is the path to the Great Cup is so 1-1. One, one, like it's it's right. three games for, for four teams and it's two games for – for two teams. So it's like, it's very easy, but every matchup's fun. And like, I, I bomber stamps. I don't know how that plays out. I ultimately, I think he's still got to pick the bombers to be the favorites, but I do believe this defense can do some damage. It's just going to be fascinating, man. We got such a fun couple weeks coming up. Yeah, no, it definitely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The one thing that uh, you can say is, and uh, the, the thing that I like about the CFL the most over the other league is the last three minutes is a there's a ton of time left like in the last two minutes of the nfl the time is coming off the clock and you have you have to be within one possession or else you're done and in the cfl if you have three minutes left on the clock and you're within two possessions you could still have a chance it's not unreasonable and so when what happens in that uh the winnipeg uh calgary game the other night and you are not you're in the stadium so you're not watching on television but there's 138 on the clock and the stamp score a, a touchdown to go down and they're only down by two now. And they start talking on the broadcast. It was like, Oh yeah, we're going to see onside kick time. And I'm like, no, there's 138 left on the clock. Kick it deep, get your ball, you know, get a two and out, get the ball back at midfield, go into field goal range and win this thing. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm screaming at the TV thinking, Okay, yeah, it's, this is annoying. It's annoying that you don't know the league. No, no, you kick it deep here. You go, <laughs> you push them deep, put the defense out there, get a stuff, which is exact, exactly what happened. And then you got a couple of plays to get into the field goal range. So, and then they even burn some more time cl- off the clock. Yeah, as long as you're in field goal range, uh, if you need a yeah. touchdown, you know, it's potentially a little bit different. But even then with 138 left, who cares? Kick it deep, trust your defense. If yeah. your defense has been playing well, and they have Drew, whatever his name is. Don't even know what the quarterback's name is. Can't think of it. Um, the Bombers. Yeah, you you trust your defense, get the ball back, um, and especially when it's 
it's field goal range. You, you kick those yeah. field goals. And that's so about probably 40 seconds left, then you have to kind of change that up. Yeah. Oh, and if it's under 40 to 30 seconds around there, yeah, then you got to worry about it. But I just felt like there was too many onside kick attempts this year without like taking into factor that you can't burn the clock down like you can in the NFL with their four downs. You can't burn the clock out. And the 20 second play clock, they've got a 40 second play clock. Like they got it. There's so many ways to burn the clock in the NFL. And that's not the way in the CFL. They, and they won't start the time until everyone's set. So you don't, you don't have it roll the way the whole way. And I'm like, you guys don't realize this. Anyway, I, it was just a pet peeve of mine this past weekend because what I like about the last few minutes of the CFL, it's still, it's still anyone's ball game and you can see some crazy stuff happen, which is the best thing about Canadian football. I mean, like is the, is, is those last couple minutes when you, when you know, it's still exciting. And it's why, like when we talk about rule changes, cause you and I have discussed that I will talk to people who don't really watch the CFL, but do watch the NFL. And they're like, honestly, like field looked weird to me. I'm just like accustomed to watching NFL football on that field. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, if they went four downs and went smaller field, I might be willing to watch it. And I'm like, I'm fine with the smaller field. I'm, I like the 20 second play clock. And yeah. Like, and I like the three downs. Yeah. Well, and then it's either keep the, go to four downs and keep the size of the field. Like, because then it widens things open and you can try more passing plays or you can even run the ball more. Like it's, it's a, it's teams would go for on, on the field that size, you'd be able to get four or five yards every time. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It would just, we, we, yeah. We just need to get back into an offensive era and at some point we will. Um, anyway. Also, I, sorry. I, I recognize that we're just kind of, this is tangent after tangent, but <laughs> that's the way it is between games, right? So. How many great quarterbacks are there right now? I, I don't see too many. I mean, yeah. Um, at great quarterbacks who are at the peak of their careers. Yeah. It's like, we talked last week about how I don't think Jeremiah Mazzoli is, is what the level that he used to be. And Michael Riley's on the downslide. I don't know about Bo Levi Mitchell right now. He had an off year. We can call it an off year, but yeah. Like he had an off year. You got, you hope he's still an all time great. I think he's an all, I, I would say right now he retires right now. He's a hall of famer. So um, without question, but yeah, it's not, it's not like the era where there was, you know, five or six guys who were going to end up in the top 15 of all time passing yards, which is what we had a decade ago. Right. So yeah. and I, was, I was looking at the all time passing list the other day because um, I, when we, we, when it was announced, so the Argos put out that McLeod Bethel Thompson is in their top eight or seven of all time passing. And he hasn't even been the starter. Like this is his kind of his now finally becoming the full-time anointed starter. And he's in the top eight of your, your, your franchise's passing yards. <laughs> I was like, how did that happen? And then I looked, it was like Ricky Ray's your all-time leading passer for an organization that's had 130 years of business. Ew, that was, that was quite stunning to me. And it was like, well, okay. Yeah. They had Flutie for a couple of years. He's in the top five. He played two seasons and then for some reason well it's damon allen he had a few years there uh, like ricky ray had a longest stretch and he was like six years so it's just like wow okay that's i guess that's how that worked out so it feels like other franchises have guys that lasted longer periods of time obviously edmonton being the the number one because ricky ray's in the top 
of that franchise's passing yards history too. I'm just rambling on right now, I guess. But uh, so the other big news of the week is the Edmonton Elks absolutely cleaning house. And I don't think we were surprised because I think we said it halfway through the year that that was going to happen. Do you feel like Chris Jones is the front runner to take over that organization? Because I feel like that is the direction they're going to go because they're going to have like an all encompassing primary chief. And if I was doing this for them, I would say I would bring Chris Jones back, but I'm keeping you on a no move contract. You can't go anywhere else for whatever reason you can't parlay this into a NFL assistant job. If you're going to come here and take over, you're going to be here for five years, like go and take over and do what you need to do. Make us a solid franchise on the field again, but we don't, we're not having you leave again in a couple of seasons. I mean, I don't know if that contract exists. So you know. No, exactly. Probably doesn't, but that's what I would go for. So, okay. First of all, I mean, what I did not expect was them to fire their president GM and coach. That's, I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? That's, I don't remember it all happening at the same time like that in recent yeah. history. Um, I, having spoken to certain players, uh, there were people who were very surprised by that. There were, I, I was told basically that, I mean, Elizondo and, and Brock were doing end of season meetings. I mean, and like everyone was under the impression that they were sticking around for another year. And then the board made their decision. Um, I have been told that, Players have not heard from anyone at the organization regarding any of this. Um, so, yeah, so well, who's in charge right now? That's the thing. Like, well, that's, it's a, that's the thing. A community right? owned team with a board of directors. So, it's there's no one person in charge type of thing. Now, who do I think should be head coach? I would like to see Mark Kellum if he's interested. Um, I, I think that one of the things with Chris Jones versus Mark Kellum is I think that. Mark Gillum has an incredible reputation. I think players love him. I think there are so many former Stampeders around the league. I actually think he would help in free agency um, because there are just he has such a, a good reputation. Chances are, I mean, chances are he's definitely going to be. Mark Gillum should be in contention for any job. Mm-hmm. Would it surprise me if the Elks, knowing what their relationship is with the fan base, with the community, they may want to go with someone established. So that's where I think Chris Jones might um might might sort of crawl in there um yeah you'd want some sort of guarantee um it's too bad scott milanovich didn't work out i honestly think milanovich was was (laughs) that was the thing like they so i think people forget that he had they had him as a head coach for a year and it just and then he bolted back to the nfl for i don't even remember where he went but yeah it felt like that was the that was the idea was that he was going to build the program there right yeah um, which and Milanovic has proven. Um, I don't know how, how much responsibility Elizondo takes for any of this, but luck. I mean, I think that you saw what was it, Devere Posey, who tweeted out, I guess these guys just weren't culture fits after mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, there was, I don't, I think players around the league were not going to sign in Edmonton. I think there was a lot of anger about the way some veteran guys got, got treated by that organization coming out of training camp. I can tell you that I've definitely spoken to players who have been with the Elks who, Felt like there were a lot of broken promises. Um, you know, no, no, I, I don't know those guys personally. This is the movie Alex had to make. Chris Jones, it's just hard to beat um, a guy with that experience, a guy who, who's proven that he's a good coach. I mean, he built, say what you want, he built the riders into the sort of 
first, second place team that they've been the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Craig, credit to Craig Dickinson for doing it. But um, so Chris Jones is the one that makes most sense. I'm sure there's going to be some movement towards Ed Hervey. Um, but uh, it doesn't feel like Ed Hervey and Chris Jones would work as a tandem anymore. And one of the other things that I saw was uh, Brendan Mahoney from the Stamps as well. The Well, he's been Canadian player personnel guy for many, many years. He's been with the Stamps for, oh, I remember. He came in as a as a part-time scout, and then he was on the practice roster because they needed uh, Canadian receivers to work and practice, basically. <laughs> they just need receivers in practice, so he was on the practice roster. Uh, so I've known Brendan back to his uh, university days and was like, when that was mentioned, I was like, yeah, you, you hire him as your GM and uh, Mark Killam's your head coach. And you find a, a good, you know, savvy president to, to run the operation. Yeah, you can you could build that way too. Uh, is the patience there for what that would mean, right? That that puts you into kind of figure it out, rebuild mold. And then, but then you got Nick Arbuckle as your head, your quarterback, who they didn't play in the last month of the season, which was bizarre. But you know, theoretically, you've got a good building block for <laughs> what what the the next. Uh, the future looks for the Edmonton Elks. So it's, those are all ideas. It's kind of a situation of the, that board of directors has to figure out which way they want to go. Do you want a czar? Which is what I would term what um, Chris Jones would want to be. He'd want to be the football czar there. You know, the guy in charge of all levels of the operation. If you feel like that's the best fit, then you go with Chris Jones. If you want a traditional model or a less or more like old school traditional model, then you maybe go GM head coach with a separate president, three different positions, right? It's just all ma- different matter how you want to. to, to the it. reality is um, what I can almost guarantee you is that they're looking at Calgary and Winnipeg and saying, those are teams that put someone in charge. I mean, with Calgary, you didn't have to have patience with Dickinson because sort of that team was that Huffnagel yeah. had ready yeah. for him was pretty darn it good. Was, it was a, yeah, it was a great cup team that was handed over basically. Completely. Um, and then, I mean, Dickinson's carried them forward. But, you know, with O'Shea, there was a little bit of patience required, but he built them up. He got them to where they are. And now there's just total stability there. And they've they've put cultures in place. That's what you you want in Edmonton, right? You want, you're planning for the next 10, 15 years. Not on-field product, but building something that, that is going to work. And, and they haven't had that stability. And um, I do, like, you know, I don't really think that – I think that they've made one West final since they won the Grey Cup in 2015. Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> it felt yeah. like it was – because Winnipeg was coming on and Calgary was always in it. So I can only remember back to – you know, it was Winnipeg-Saskatchewan two years ago and then Calgary versus Winnipeg the year before and Calgary versus whoever in 17 yeah. – I don't know. I, you would remember that better than I would. I, my yeah, I'm trying, 2016 was 2016 was BC Calgary. I'm obviously loading this up. Let's not pretend that I'm doing this by memory. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then 2017 was Calgary Edmonton, a right. 32-2018 game. Just a great, great oh, yeah. final um, where, Cal- where Calgary opened up a nice lead and then Edmonton kind of came storming back. Um, But yeah, so I'm just trying to see what the last play of that game was. Okay. The stamps got it and then just didn't give it out. They ran the clock down. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because they had Jerome Messam who they could just have eat up. Right. But um, yeah, so I just, look, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but I think that you have models right now that are proven to work. Patience is going to be required. The nice thing about the Elks is they likely don't have, like there's no financial reason. They don't need yeah. this fixed in a year. They can take a couple years, start building community again. I I really, really hope Nick Arbuckle gets his shot at being a starter. Um, pretty sure he wouldn't be too upset with Mark Killam as his head coach. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I just again, yeah, I so I, I think that's a good that's a good call. But you have to rebuild, you, you gotta rebuild with the relationships with the players, with PA. You know, you want players saying good things about their time in, in your city and with your organization. Um, but there's a lot of player movement in today's league. There are a lot of you know, you, you can find talent. There's still a lot of young talent that's out there that you can find and bring in. So you can turn it around pretty quick in the CFL. Yeah, it's the CFL. It's not, it's not like you got to rebuild in the NHL where you need multiple draft picks and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't work the same way. And also like the incentive for finishing last, like there there's, is, there's yeah. nothing, it doesn't exist. There's getting the first pick, like the Stampeders through the Arbuckle trade had the first pick, then they just traded down. So they could get like their second round pick up a couple. Like, so right. you, you know, you don't rebuild through the draft, but you can rebuild quickly, but a little patience and luck. If it's Chris Jones, it's Chris Jones. I, I'd be very interested to see how that goes over with the hardcore fan. Cause I know there's still a lot of anger and resentment towards him for the way things played out there. Right. Um, I honestly would love to see Mark Killam get a shot. I don't know that I should be talking about that until the Stampeders season is done. Like, I don't know if, but it is what it is. So, well, and I think what what the Elks did well here was they got knocked out on. Well, they, their last game was Friday, right? And then Monday they announced everybody was gone. Yeah. It was like they didn't hesitate, and there was no like, oh, we don't know about this or that. It was like, okay, we're making changes, and we're going to get ready and figure out what we want to do before everyone else is finished, so that you can go and figure out who your candidates are. And then, you know, you can be the first one to get anybody now. Can I just say one other thing? Yeah. Should have been friggin' Rick Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) What the Campbell name means in Edmonton, that's who it should have been. Yeah, do you not – well, is that not possibly in play? Like, again, it's – you, you don't, we don't know it's not in play. That, this is what happens. And I remember telling you at the start of the year, I was like, oh, we've got, you know, we're starting a new year with these nine head coaches. A couple of them aren't going to be in the same spot next year. And it always ends up that way. And um, I think Rick Campbell wants to build in BC. Um, I think that's a, that's a good situation for him. And I think that like, honestly, this year, given what 2019 was like for the Lions, mm-hmm. this should have been a year where they were, you know, one foot in front of the other. I don't know that their sort of quote unquote quick start. I, I, I don't know that we need, like they obviously didn't win any games coming down the stretch. That's bad. Like yeah. end of story. That's bad. I'm not trying to defend it, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I have no idea if that's the right impression either, but I don't yeah. like, I, I think that you, you give Rick Campbell time in BC, you know, that he's got a good reputation with players. Um, let him build something that like, and, yeah. I, and if you're Rick Campbell, you want to build something who wants to be moving around all the time like that. Well, and I, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who's been in almost every market. He's like been in Edmonton and Winnipeg and Calgary and Ottawa. It's just like, 
yeah, he, he doesn't need to be moving around all the time. And I know he likes the West more than the East. Well, I wouldn't say that. I don't know how seemed like he liked Ottawa. Pretty how do you well. know that? <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that. I, I just know he's a kind of a West guy. I mean, yeah. He's, well, I mean, the Campbell name in Edmonton matters, you know, it's, yeah. that's, so, I mean, I'd love to see him get that job eventually. I don't, I'm just not saying it's now, but uh, you know, no. when you look yeah, at him, everything on this, right. So, yeah. When you look at him leaving, I always thought when he was leaving Ottawa, I was like, Oh, the Edmonton job, like that'll be good. And that's not how it played out, but there'd be some poetry there. I guess that's all I'm saying. So, yeah. Right. All right. Well, uh, speaking of timing, uh, I got to let you go and uh, do some actual work and uh, I've got, other things to do like a million goddamn things to do and to get ready for sunday right it's uh that's basically my whole week is just to make sure i can uh relax on sunday and uh watch some football so it's gonna be an exciting week yeah i've got to go interview president's ring winner tomorrow wow. nice all right that should be interesting i'll wait to see how that turns out <laughs> and we'll we're gonna catch up earlier next week maybe sunday night i don't know if you're uh gonna be i uh, know you're gonna be in regina you're, you're well, no, no, it's possible well you know let's not we can have that conversation off air but yeah, yeah. that's that it is possible um all depends on how exhausted i am because it is possible that i will literally be dead um but uh <laughs> <no>. <laughs> that, that's the well if you survive regina we will have a show next week Sounds good to I'm, me. I could also be literally minutes away from finding out that I'm going to Grey Cup. So we'll, uh, you know, I may also, by the time we're talking next, I may not have a team that I'm covering because they, the stamps could be out. So lots to play for. It's playoff time. You got to love it. Yeah. Well, I, I know it's the way I used to do things. Now I just book my Grey Cup trip well in advance and I don't have to wait on who's playing or what. But uh, I know you're in a different situation. So I hope it works out for you no matter what. You bet, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> check my phone to see if there was a great cup and completely missed everything you said, which is great podcasting. But, uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, until next week, then. Peace.